I'm raising a grandchild, a nine-year-old granddaughter, and I have partial custody of two other grandchildren under the age of nine. I have uh, two grandchildren currently that I'm responsible for. One is 16 and the other is 12. I have two, two granddaughters that I'm raising. From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Rickert. And I'm Charlotte Reese. Today on the podcast. Something that, that's always been around. You've had grandparents taking care of grandchildren because of something having happened to their kids who are the parents. Yes, I have two children and they are both addicts. My son. And both of the parents were on drugs. It's your son or daughter with an addiction? Well, both parents. Both parents. But this is a growing issue, and I had no idea just how widespread and, and how much it's increasing before this time. The American family is hurting because of the opioid crisis. Like a good family, we got to solve it together. And some of the things that they have to deal with are mind-blowing. Hello, Charlotte. Hi. You're a producer here on Scroll Down. And you've been telling me about this thing called grandfamilies. For a long time, a bunch of weeks now. What is it? What are grandfamilies? And why did you start thinking about this so much? Well, I think that word grandfamilies, you can draw a lot of conclusions from it. But in this case, uh, grand coming from grandparents. So grandparents essentially taking the leadership role in a conjoined family. My interest started, it was definitely more than a year ago at this point. Uh, I kept getting press releases from a Bucks County state rep, Kathy Watson, about upcoming roundtables, committee hearings, and House votes about grand families legislation. And after I spoke to her, her passion about the issue kept me coming back for more, seeing what was going on in Harrisburg. And plus, I love seeing bills turn into law. And as a journalist, I think it's my responsibility to cover that. All right, let's get into this. Charlotte, why don't you take it from here? So I learned that aside from Kathy, locally, Senator Bob Casey is also a huge advocate for grand families. They had companion legislation in both D.C. and Harrisburg. And then Molly Daly, KYW reporter and anchor, covered a roundtable that Senator Casey hosted, and she met these three women that told their story, got to share their perspective of their grand family situation. And I spoke with her after that event that was held at the Philadelphia Corporation for Aging. The women I saw at the roundtable that Senator Casey held, they were so upfront. One woman. Judy LeCompte. Where do you live? Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. She named her granddaughter. You know, she said her name's Gianna. 
I came home from work one day, and, and she was about 18 months old, and I saw a very unsafe situation. So I threw her mother out, called children and youth. They were at my house the next morning. They kept an eye on us. And then um, about two years into this, they said, we can't keep spending our resources when this child's fine with you. So we're going to ask the judge to give you permanent legal custody, which the judge did. You and your husband, is yes. it? Yes. Like- my husband is 65. Uh, well, he'll be 65, and I'll be 60, in, both of us in August. It's like every person's life that's raising a nine-year-old, except we're old. These are people at their, what should be retirement age, raising a kid again after spending maybe a decade or two or more without that responsibility. They came into the complex where they lived and they raided the complex and they took a lot of children out. And I went to DHS and tried to get them the same day that they were taken, and they wouldn't give them to me. And that was Judy with a Y. Judy born. Yes, I started out in New Jersey, and they shot me down over there because the house was small. And she has a place in Philadelphia that has six bedrooms. And so she said, I'll move there. So that's a whole other kettle of fish. So, you know, after I got over here, you know, they came into my home and, you know, they look all over. Do you have the proper electricity, this, that, and the other? And then I finally got them. That was a happy day. But in the midst of everything, I had a heart attack. And I was even afraid to tell them I had a heart attack. I kept pressuring the doctor when I was in the hospital, please, you got to let me out here because I was afraid they were going to find out. She's pressuring the doctor to let her out of the hospital because she just doesn't want anything to happen that's going to endanger those kids. I got to get out because I don't want anything to happen because I had got a rapport with the the foster parent. She called me up and she said, they told me to go ahead and start procedures to adopt them. I said, what are you, they know I'm fighting for these kids, what are you talking about? So, you know, through all of that stress, um, I had a heart, you know, I had the heart attack and I had to get over that. And that's heroic. Pressuring the doctor to get out, maybe that's not the best idea when you're in, uh, you know, in dire physical straits, but at the same time, that's the kind of dedication that you see and the kind of love and devotion and responsibility. Every one of these women has thought about what can I do that is going to help them. You know, they're not just, oh, I'm taking care of a kid and I'm going to feed them. I mean, these kids are their project. Diane said, Diane Lackey. She wants to make sure they're progressing normally. Finding happiness and activities and education, enough resources, and dealing with stress. One thing I learned from listening to these grandmother stories is how truly vital support is. These women lean on one another because they can understand what each other are going through, from school enrollment to the troubles of being an older parent. I remember pausing, not feeling, feeling like I didn't know what to do. So I guess the first challenge was who to talk to, to, to begin to lay things out, what to do next, 
to know that I wasn't alone was so very important. She already had two others, two other children, grandchildren she was taking care of. So she had four at the time. And she said figuring out who to call, who to talk to, finding out that she wasn't alone, that was a huge component. And that's how Sone came into being. This one organization, Sone, which stands for Supportive Older Women's Network, connected these three women and multiple other grand families in the Philadelphia area. Hi, Arlene Siegel, and I'm privileged to be the project coordinator for Sone's Grand Family Resource Center. If I didn't have them, I don't know what I would do because just to have someone to talk to it is just a blessing. Sone's actually been in existence for 30 years. We started out as an organization serving older women. We've changed, developed, expanded over the years. And the Grand Family Resource Center probably is about 10 or 11 years old. We'll find out what is most convenient and workable for the grandparent. You know, it's it's... It's not easy raising your grandkids. But they are tigers when it comes to advocating and getting services for their children. It's been a a task, and I had to retire from my job because I knew I couldn't deal with running back and forth to New Jersey teaching. I'm lucky. I can still retire. I have a good job. We're financially stable. There are so many grandparents out there that are not in my shoes. And when I retire, my number one thing to do is to advocate on behalf of all the other grandparents who are in dire shape, raising special needs kids, more than one, two, three, four, five great-grandparents. I don't know how she's going to do it in her ample spare time. I mean, not that she, because she, it's something she doesn't have, but that's, again, the kind of responsibility, the societal responsibility these, these folks who are at the round table exhibited. You know, they're they're good citizens. What about social life? <laughs> None. None. You know, we have to get a babysitter. Usually, you know, it's the grandparents willing to watch the kids while the parents go out. But in these situations, that piece of the equation is lost. This will make you laugh. Gianna's in um, Girl Scouts. So every Wednesday when she's at Girl Scouts, we drop her off and we go down to our local bar and have a couple of beers and a quick sandwich for an hour and a half, and that's our date night. That's it. That's our only social activity, except with our kids, our family. You know, we had a blended family. We, we, we always had children. And then we had about two years that we didn't have children. And we were playing golf whenever we wanted and going out to dinner and actually taking a vacation without a child. (laughs) God help me, right? Two years. And then suddenly they're parents again. I can't be a grandmom to this kid. I'm her mommy. And my other two that I have partial custody of. I can't be a grandmom to them. I'm their mommy. When they're in my house, I'm their mommy. Taking on that mom and dad role is difficult when the parents are still in the picture. It should be the grandparents' time to spoil, not have to be that disciplinary figure. But with grand families, it's reversed, and that usually comes with legal battles and sometimes putting a child at risk if something were to happen to the grandmother or grandfather, their stable guardians. Gianna 
has not been adopted, not legally adopted by them, because that would be something that would be too great a blow, uh, Judy said, to her daughter's sobriety. It's a tightrope every day, every day. We told her we were thinking about it. She lost her mind. So you're in the age range where you look in the newspaper and the obituaries that somebody went to high school with, you know, uh, somebody who's close to your age. I'm worried about that. My husband had prostate cancer when he was 50, twice. So we're very concerned about that. Um, And who takes care of Gianna? One of the older children, I think, from that blended family had said, you know, I'll do that. But that's a court battle because she has no rights to her. She's not her biological aunt, even. You know, legal help costs money. Probably if our health deteriorated, we'd probably adopt her, just so we would have. I'd, I'd call somebody and say, get this kid adopted, like right now. It's the choice that we make, you know. It's, we're both healthy. She's got eight more years until she's 18. My absolute worst fear is she goes down the same path as her mother. That I would, I don't know what I would do. You know, these folks are keeping the kids out of the foster system. They're actually saving taxpayers money. Over my dead body would I put my grandchild in a system. No way, I couldn't do it. They're helping society. Grand families save the system nearly $1 billion a year by keeping them out of the foster system. But that could be even higher considering some grand families fly under the radar. You know, you have to think of the pressure and social stigma that comes along with raising your grandchildren. The rising numbers are blamed on the opioid crisis in America, already having a kid fall prey to this horrible epidemic, then having to raise their children. That's a heartbreak in itself. Grandparents that are dying, literally dying trying to help. It's a huge societal issue. The trauma is intergenerational. I just wish that they could tackle this drug addiction problem because that's what it's all about, the drugs. My name is Glenn Sterner. I'm an assistant professor of criminal justice at Penn State Abington starting this fall, and I have an incredible opportunity here to uh, work on the opioid crisis attached to my academic research as well as my outreach into communities. I spoke with Dr. Glenn Sterner from Penn State, who was recently named one of Independence Blue Cross's future leaders in community health for Philadelphia. He is studying the different layers of the opioid crisis, from the illegal distribution to the police community networks, and most importantly, people's experiences. Part of that is helping people to understand that this is an issue that affects quite literally anybody from any background at any time. This isn't a bunch of bad people that are just using these substances. Uh, These are actually just sick people trying to get better. So what we're doing by collecting and hearing these stories is helping people see that these are real people. These are their friends, their family members, their sons, their daughters. are just being affected by this really terrible scourge, which is substance use disorder. Glenn said underreporting is a factor that researchers have to take into consideration. 
definitely not underreported when it comes to the news, but in surveys due to the stigma and sometimes illegal activity. How people are getting access to these substances, how people are getting access to specifically illicit substances. That's not necessarily always something that we can we can always talk about in, in the public. Um, but we want to really talk about this a little bit more upstream, how it is that people get to that point of needing to seek out these substances. Beyond just studying them, how do we then take that knowledge and, and apply it into our communities? Sometimes people don't want to admit what they're going through or what a loved one is going through, even to their closest friends. Glenn said once we can eliminate that stigma, it will be easier for those struggling to get into recovery. The more that we talk about this issue, the more that we're raising awareness, the better that the the folks that we're going to be talking with will be off because they'll realize that they are supported in our communities. Uh, But also it might, it might, that's what we're really hoping for, is that it might spawn a whole host of new conversations that might not have happened otherwise. When I was talking with Molly and Glenn, The AIDS epidemic came up and the familiar stigma it brought in the 80s. USA Today called the three-decade-old epidemic greatly misunderstood and severely underestimated. We know there is data out there from the CDC and various polls, but at this point, the numbers are only a rough calculation because who knows how many aren't coming forward about their personal or family situation. There are 100,000 kids in Pennsylvania who are being raised by grandparents and 2.6 million kids in the U.S. Statistics are great. We need to make sure that we collect them. We need to make sure that we analyze them. I'm a researcher. I get that. But we don't tell a story by statistics. Certainly people are less swayed by statistics. We find that they are actually more swayed by a story. Glenn and his research team are collecting stories online through ShareYourOpioidStory.com. And coming up at the end of July and into August, Share Your Opioid Story will host community conversations in Philadelphia and the four surrounding suburbs, Bucks, Delaware, Montgomery, and Chester counties. There are answers, and there are multiple answers to this problem, right? So it's not that we're going to have a silver bullet here. It's that it's going to take coordinated efforts in order to address this issue. And that will be through legislation, that will be through community activism, that will be through the healthcare system, that will be through insurance companies. And so when we band together to really work through this issue, that's what's going to help out the opioid crisis. That's what's going to end it. Studying the opioid crisis is one thing, along with the trend of grand families. But research is never done. Next could be how these children turn out. Some are born opioid addicted. Some are breastfed by mothers on opioids, and those health effects may not be known for a while. But one thing I think is well known is the trend of grand families will keep growing. Because that's what families do. Their tenacity and their devotion and their resourcefulness, it's, it's really impressive. The best thing is the love, really. The, the love. love. The love is what keeps, keeps you going. going. You know, the love for your grandchildren. The love among the grandparents and working with each other and building community. So that has the energy all by itself. Just to see a smile on their face is the, the best thing. We would do it all over again. You're totally taken for granted. You just, they know you can do it and somehow it'll come to be okay. 
and, and that's both challenging and just awesome. It really is. Do it out of love. And maybe what's missing, too, which I know no law can provide. The respect or the consideration that they deserve. Senator Casey's Supporting Grandparents Raising Grandchildren bill was signed into law by President Donald Trump on July 7th. The law will establish an advisory council or a one-stop shop, as Bob Casey and Kathy Watson put it. The council will provide information and resources for grand families to help with child care as well as the health and well-being of those caretakers, the grandparents. Scroll Down is hosted and produced in the KYW News Radio studios in Philadelphia. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Scroll Down Pod. And you can follow me at CReese28. That's Reese, R E E S E. Scroll Down's executive producer is Tom Rickert, and I'm Charlotte Reese. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.